Kreusor, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. Well, welcome everybody. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Um, I'm your presenter today, uh, Julie, and we're talking to Bex today, who's decided to come in and very kindly um, talk about her drug and alcohol addiction. Hi, Bex. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, lovely to see you. And you, and you. Okay, so we'll start in the usual way, which is listening to one of your first tracks. You've chosen some songs that I've never heard of so it'll be really interesting to to listen to the music that you've they've chosen and it goes across all types of music I think um <laughs> Just so, <a> bit. <laughs> so your, your first song is um fourth rendezvous by Jean-Michel Jarre so just tell us a little bit about why you've chosen this track um right um this this track comes from the album Docklands uh it was originally recorded live um and um when I was coming out of my coma in hospital after my bike accident, which was down to my addiction issues, this was one of the pieces that I listened to oh, probably endlessly. So, yeah, it's quite wow. a poignant piece for me. Absolutely.
Okay, so um, Bex, that was a, a really good track there. I could see in your face, it's a very important piece of music to you. So, and we're gonna talk about your accident a little bit later on in the show, but to rewind a little bit, um, I'd just like to ask you to talk about, um, you know, your early life, where you were brought up, a little bit about that, and perhaps a little bit about how your drinking first started. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I came to the UK when I was about 10 months old. Um, I was born on the island of St Helena. Dad worked for Cable and Wireless and was posted out there with mum. And grew up in Truro in Cornwall, so I'm a Cornish maid. Yeah, actually lived there pretty much till I was 21 in Truro. And then I suppose I was about 12, 13 when I started going out to discos. And at round 14, it was the boys, the local boys club discos. And that's when everybody would sort of like, we go in, have a first few boogies, and then we go out to the pub. So I was about 14, I suppose, when I started. And of course, it was all stilettos and heavy makeup. So you get served. Bit, bit easier in those days, I think, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you went out and, you know, to party and, and you were having a drink, even at 14, how, how did that make you feel? Oh, like I was part of the crowd, you know, and it was hilarious because we only ever had a window of, of like, I don't know, maybe three hours to, to go in, have a dance, go down the pub, have a few drinks, get drunk, go back, have a few staggers because they weren't really dances then and sober up ish before our parents picked us up to take us home because you didn't want to appear to be you know hammered when your parents turned up when you're 14 years old so it's all very secretive and and kind of covert operations almost um yeah 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 Yeah. and how, how was your school life how how was that going that was generally okay but I, I mean I you know I kind of I was always a loner at school I never really kind of had a close circle of friends I was always on the outside of of everything that was going on but it was all right it was a girls grammar school so we were fairly well closeted from the outside world as it were um, so yeah of course Friday Saturday night you all go ah! <laughs> absolutely mad yeah. get into your own little group your own gang well, yeah, and of course, and that's when I discovered bikes as well. Oh, like, wow. Well, I mean, I'd kind of, I'd kind of discovered it when I was very little, actually, but that's when it really kicked in, you know, because um, some of the older lads that would go to the boys' club had the bikes, so we'd, we'd all be hanging around outside drooling over these gorgeous machines that, actually, looking back, were not really that good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's, that's experience talking now, isn't it? Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Who, who could ever say a fizzy was a good bike? At the time, it was a good bike, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stop there and we'll listen to your next track. Um, you've chosen um, Fairies Wear Boots by Black Sabbath. Would you like to tell us why you've chosen that track? Well, yeah, um, it kind of epitomises me, really, because, uh, you know, I might look like a dainty little slim fairy walking around and be a bit hippy dippy but you'll never see me wearing anything other than heavy chunky boots and that's what i was like back then as well great yeah
Hi, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Room and Adveriad. I'm your presenter, Julie, and today we're listening to Bex. So, Bex, that was a great track. I was really getting the <laughs> sort of biker vibe from that one. I could just imagine you in your leathers there. Um, so you were sort of about 16 when you got interested in in motorbikes and, and that kind of, what's the word, sort of bike culture, I suppose, and you began perhaps dabbling a little bit with sort of softer drugs at about yeah. 16. Do you want to tell us about that? And Yeah, my first, my first ever joint was at a status quo concert and I was 16 and it was just sort of being passed along the line. I thought it was a cigarette, being a nice little green naive girl that I was. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, oh, hey, that's good. And that was it. That was me, like, really enjoyed it. It, You know, um, I wasn't actually drinking that night um, because by then I was sort of drinking fairly regularly. And, um, and yeah, the the, sort of the further I got into the biker culture, the more, you know, the more I indulged, basically, um, in all of it. And was it sort of the norm? Was was everybody kind of? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I was chatting with somebody last night, and we were saying, you know, that it somebody that I knew from back then, and we were saying that you know that was just how it was in you know in Cornwall and certainly around you know the biker culture, and that extended outside of Cornwall without a doubt. But um, yeah, you know, if you were around bikes, I mean, it wasn't necessarily just bikes, but no. it's it's certainly you know that was definitely part of the biking culture drinking getting stoned speeding whatever it was you know it was the norm yeah and then was was it easy to drift on then into sort of harder drugs was that the next kind of yeah phase yeah Yeah, definitely it was it was because it was it was just so freely available Mm. um you know and you go out and if you have a joint it makes you really sort of dopey and you know you haven't got the energy to get out there and really party if Mm. you have a line of speed amphetamine Mm. you can party all night and you can drink all night and of course if you're on a bike rally you don't want to waste any time at all with sleeping you want you don't want to miss anything so you know that was just the way it went yeah yeah um yeah. Wow. yeah, and there were parties or rallies pretty much every weekend. Um, um, were you at home then, or had you moved out? Or no, I was still living at home then. So you know, if you go out to, if you go out to a bike rally or a party or whatever, you don't come back until the day after it's finished. Mum always expected me to to turn up with a hangover. Mm. She didn't expect to see me on a come down. But of course, you know, when you're on a come down, the first thing you do is roll a joint because it makes it a bit easier or you do more and you just gradually do you come down in the week um, which is what ended up happening with me and it was interesting because it was it wasn't a prolonged period of time that I was doing that it was actually possibly 18 months worth of full-on and the last six months really was absolutely full-on it was it was every weekend almost yeah. I would say and in the week yeah 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 okay well we'll stop there and we'll listen to your next track um you've chosen um Steel and Glass by John Lennon so mm. would you like to just say why that particular track 
Um, I've always loved John Lennon, and this this to me is is kind of like a real. It's to me, it feels like it's a song based around addiction. Um, if you listen to the lyrics, you can hear the the kind of yeah the the, the addiction inference in inferences I think that's the mm. right word you know John Lennon wasn't without his addiction issues no. um, so yeah okay there you go give it a listen You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, um, brought to you by Adveriad and the Living Rooms. 
We're talking to Bex today about her drug and alcohol addiction and her recovery. So Bex, that was kind of, you were living life in the fast lane really at, at this stage of your life, weren't you, pretty much? Mm-hmm. And uh, drugs were a very big deal as to what, what was going to happen next. So could, could you tell us a little bit about perhaps how you stopped taking drugs? Yeah, I didn't detox in the normal way by any stretch of the imagination. I basically, summer of 85, had been hammering it every weekend consistently. And I was riding my bike down to meet up with a bunch of friends to carry on again. And I blacked out. My system shut down on me while I was riding. And I suffered with a massive head injury, was put into an induced coma. And in doing that, they inadvertently detoxed me from the amphetamine. Um, So I didn't actually have to go anywhere or do anything. It was done for me without me knowing anything about it. And obviously, when I came back from that coma, you know, and and sort of, I don't know, it took a few weeks for me to, to really kind of fully be present, as it were. In fact, no, it took a lot longer, but for me to realize that that, you know, I had a second crack of the whip. This is this is a second chance at life. And if I went back on to doing what I was doing, there was no way that I would survive it. If I, if that could happen, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't take much. And, you know, I couldn't even drink on my 21st birthday because it was so soon after coming out of hospital. They'd said, do not drink, because I'd also had a massive brain fit. I nearly died uh, for 36 hours they weren't sure if I was going to make it or not but nobody knew that I had the drug addiction so I was detoxed without anybody realizing wow um yeah and I haven't touched it knowingly since so that was 1985 where are we now 2021 so it's been a long time I say I haven't touched it knowingly. I have been spiked a couple of times and I completely flipped my lid when I when I found out it had happened. I completely flipped because it just scared me. That's the only way I can put it. It scared me. It scared the doodles out of me mm. to think that I had that in my system again. Mm. Um, it didn't stop me drinking and it didn't stop me smoking dope. And for the year after the accident, although I'd come off the class A's, my head was so messed up because of having a, a massive head injury. Um, you know, it's left me with with what's called acquired brain injury. My head was so messed up for the year after that I really hit the bottle hard um, with smoking dope and just, I was a complete mess for a good year after the accident. So, so were you living at home still or do you... By then, I, I was living at home when I had the accident. And then as soon as I could after the accident, I moved out and went into sharing a flat with a friend of mine because to completely go off the rails, I couldn't be living at home. And it just, it wasn't conducive to my, if you like, my recovery from one addiction and digging deeper into another one. So yeah, so I'd moved out and I was working in a pub by then as well, as well as a daytime job. I had a nighttime job in a pub. So, you know, you could run up a bar tab quite easily, mm. you know, and everybody mm. says, hey, you have a drink, one for you, one for yourself. Mm. Um, anybody who's worked in a pub will know that one. Um, so d- did you think at that time then that that your addiction was sort of manageable? I mean, you would obviously like sort of stop the drugs, but the alcohol was... Oh, I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't think I had a problem at Mm. all. 
I, I, you know, was looking back and thinking, yeah, perhaps I did have a, a problem with the Amphet, but I certainly didn't think I had a problem with alcohol because everyone was drinking, you know, it was all around. And I was still, I was still hanging around with the bikers. They were still, you know, some of my best mates and still are some of my best mates without a shadow of a doubt, you know, when you're in that kind of group of people, it's friends for life. But I didn't think I had a drink problem then. Mm. at all mm. you know okay well, well we'll just stop there and we'll listen to your next track so for this you've chosen hurry on sundown by Hawkwind. um just tell us a little bit about that track it's a very poignant track this one a friend of mine i mean i've loved Hawkwind for years seen them countless times but a friend of mine an old school friend of mine and i'm talking primary school sadly died last year and it was down to her alcohol addiction and this was a piece of music that was played at her funeral at the very end and so it's become a very very special piece of music to me and again it's got you know for me now it's got a direct link to addiction um okay yeah
you're listening to Recovery Now Radio and today's guest is Bex. So that was a lovely song there, Bex, to remember your friend by. So we're talking now, your drinking is the issue here. So do do you want to kind of tell us the consequences of your drinking and, and how that affected your life around that time? Well, after my accident, I was not only left with the acquired brain injury, um, there's a strong possibility that I compressed my spine in the accident, although obviously they were more concerned with the head injury because I was dying. And as a result, it's left me with permanent disabilities, um, So, which started to really kind of show themselves within about a year or so of the accident. And so I was put on some pretty hefty medication, which trashed the lining of my stomach. Now, trying to drink when you the lining of your stomach has just been destroyed and you've got a massive amount of acid in your system just makes you feel like pants. I'm being very polite when I say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so I started to think, well, maybe I can't do this anymore. Maybe I'll have a break from the drinking. Then I fell pregnant with my son. And so that did stop me drinking for a while. And I felt a bit better. I mean, although, you know, I wasn't really kind of thinking about it when I was pregnant. But um, after I had him, I went straight back on to drinking again. I've got a photo of me holding a pint and him plugged into a bottle after a real ale festival. He was never at risk. I have to stress that he was never at risk. I would never go out and come back hammered with a baby in the house. I always made sure he was looked after. But I would still go out and get hammered. And, and my stomach just got worse and worse and worse. And then I met my first husband and he didn't drink. So I thought, oh, well, I'll stop then. And I actually stopped without any support, which is where the what term white knuckling it comes in mm. because, you know, there's no support involved. And I think I stopped for, I don't know, maybe eight years. Marriage went wrong and was with some friends and they were saying oh and I'd stopped smoking even smoking cigarettes I, was, I didn't do anything at all and these friends said oh god have a, have a spliff that'll help your pain levels have a drink that'll help your pain levels and I kept saying no I don't want to I don't want to go back I don't want to go back and the typical peer pressure and I eventually I turned around and I said okay I will I hope you're prepared to deal with the aftermath and I that was it bang launched straight back into it drinking smoking dope and smoking cigarettes then and again felt horrendous felt absolutely horrific um every time I drank I just felt so ill I'd have a hangover before I even got drunk Mm. and eventually in 2007 I thought this is just this is getting ridiculous Mm. I literally I'm trying to drink and my system is rejecting it it's it's obviously completely toxic Mm. and I decided on my birthday in 2007 that's it I'm not drinking anymore. Mm. And again, white knuckled it. I was really lucky I didn't have withdrawal. I was so, so lucky. But um, it was, you know, it was my health. It was Mm. a case of do I just go around holding my stomach and feeling sick all the time? Or do I I stop Mm. drinking and feel better? And I did. Yeah, and it sounds like that the times before that you'd stopped drinking it was it was more circumstance, really, that, Mm. that stopped the addiction, wasn't it? Rather than you actually consciously Choosing. deciding yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. interesting yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but yeah the two times that I did stop and the last time obviously is mm. you know it was in 2007 mm. they were conscious decisions to yeah. actually do it and I have to be honest I haven't looked back no you know there's been a there's been times when I've been tempted I don't mind admitting that but then I've just 
you know, I've looked at it and thought, why would I throw away that time that I've had without the alcohol, without drugs? You know, why would I chuck that away? All those years of sobriety. Yeah, you've, you've been given the taste now of, of oh, what's life. achievable. Yeah, life. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, we'll stop and just listen to another of your tracks. Well, great, great one now. Um, <laughs> you've chosen Don't Stop Believing by Journey. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that one. Many, many moons ago, when I was, I can't remember how old, um, I entered a dance competition in Cornwall um, and um, it was with a partner and we came joint first in the Cornwall Disco Championships (laughs) dancing to this. But there's also that message, don't stop believing. Just a city boy Born and raised in South Detroit He took the midnight train Going anywhere A singer in a smoky room A smell of wine and cheap perfume For a smile they can share the night It goes on and on and on and on Strangers waiting Up and down the boulevard Their shadows searching in the night
Okay, so we were listening there to um, Journey and Don't Stop Believing. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by Adveriad in the Living Room. Uh, we're listening to Bex today, who's coming to tell us a, a, about her um, drugs and alcohol addiction and her recovery. Bex, we're sort of discovering now, you, you've, you've decided that you can see light there in recovery, I think is probably the best way. Just that little sort of shining stuff mm. there that you've caught a glimpse of. So mm. you want to just start telling us a little bit about how that progressed for you. So when I decided to stop drinking, uh, interestingly, I'd already got involved with a recovery charity based in Cornwall called Gwell Heens, who's now part of Ad Action, or they, they are Ad Action Cornwall now. And I became a volunteer with them. So um, I was going in and I was leading art groups and going to a green woodwork group where I learned a lot of skills around green woodwork. And I went on to then co-lead, a co-lead the group um, with, a, with another chap as a paid member of staff. And I was leading uh, th- whoa, one, two, three groups, um, all at different stages of recovery. Some weren't in recovery at all and may actually never get into recovery one was part way through sort of that intermediary stage between being actively actively using to going into rehab and the other group were post rehab they were they were the recovery group and this is based all over sort of south cornwall south south and um, west cornwall and uh, and i did that for several years and i then and i also as part of that became a support worker so if a member of staff was we always had to have two members of staff on a side of of me as a facilitator so uh, if a member of staff was away then when you know another group ran i would then come in as a support worker and um and so i yeah i learned an awful lot about you know kind of how recovery works and again, you know, I mean, I was white knuckling my own recovery alongside of, of doing this, although my recovery was really strong and uh, and I really enjoyed it. You know, it gave me again, because we were outdoors with the with the woodwork group, it gave me that nature connection that I'd kind of gone and I'd lost it for a little while. But it got me back out there into nature, reconnecting with it. And that sparked something in me that that took a few years, but got there. I then went on to do a master's in inclusive arts practice at University of Brighton a few years ago. And that then qualified me in in the uh, inclusive arts field. So I was, you know, I'd really, really looked into working with, with vulnerable people whatever that vulnerability might be but obviously my my kind of my specialist area if you like is art and craft and nature-based activities yeah and it it really gave me a a huge insight into how nature connection can really really inspire and you know benefit people in recovery and it's amazing how working in that environment did did you find you know that the recovery environment did did you find that that helped you keep very grounded in your recovery? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You can't, you can't work in that kind of environment and relapse because everybody's going to know. Yeah. And not only that, it gives you a real insight into where people are coming from with their addiction. Yeah. Um, I had several several times where I had somebody say to me, oh, you're an art therapist, so I'm not coming in here. And it was like, uh, no, I'm not an art therapist. I don't want to get into your head. I don't need to know what's going on in your head. 
all I'm trying to do is facilitate a group where you can actually forget what's going on in your head and have something different but positive to focus on for a couple of hours in a day and maybe take that inspiration away and do some stuff at home and having Um, that connection there because you're you're you've been an addict you are mm. an addict you know you you know exactly where they are and what they're going through really don't you You oh totally yeah many times it's it was said to me you don't know what you're talking about you just you're just working out of a book Mm. no I absolutely Mm. do know what I'm talking about been there done that got the t-shirt could write the book and then it, you, there's, there's, then there's a different rapport that, that sort of happens between you and the group you're working with because they don't feel threatened by you mm. at all. And I really, I, I'm a really strong believer. I, I understand where, you know, the, the relevant qualifications, they have their place. They absolutely mm. have their place. I would never, never knock them. Do you know what I mean? But having that, that grassroots experience, lived experience, it's called, it's, mm. you know, it's, it goes a long way mm. and it, it gives you that connection, as you say, with with the people that you're working with. Very useful. OK, great. Well, well, we'll listen to your next piece of music, um, Bex, now. I'm going to let you introduce it. <laughs> <laughs> so and tell us a little bit about why you've chosen this one. OK, this this piece of music is called Cuyaquita. And it's by a band called Los Sabatinas, and they come from Bolivia. And I met this band, oh my gosh, before my son was born. And they had a huge impact on me. The music just really, I think the expression is, it got me in the feels. Ever since then, it this kind of music, this isn't your normal tinkly panpipe music. This is the traditional Quechua music and the only language that we had in common between us was French so we were having to communicate in French and Cuyaquita translated means little sister and that's actually what this this band called me they called me their little sister Cuyaquita so yeah can't wait to hear it enjoy
you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and Adveriad. Uh, we're talking today to Bex. That was a lovely piece of music, Bex. Thank you for choosing that. So now sort of going into recovery, well on the way now, using your experience in life, as you put it, to support others is great. And I think knowing you from The Living Room, I know how... Um, spiritual and the outdoors is to you so do you want to tell us a little bit about how that's helped in your recovery yeah for me being out in nature your focus is not on what the addiction might be what your problems might be I've learned to just listen and and to really use my senses this is something um, I'm involved with an organization called eight shields and uh, nature culture network and we we really when we're out in nature we're using all of our senses and we might decide to shut down one of those senses to allow the other ones to kick in so we can really experience so it could be instead of walking with boots on walking barefoot instead of walking with your eyes open walk with your eyes shut and you know using any or using all your senses to the fullest and and when you're doing that you're not thinking about anything else you are fully engaging with what's around you with your environment with birdsong, with what might be under your feet, um, you know, kind of all of that. And it just, it inspires my artwork as well, very much so. Living in the now. You're totally, absolutely in the moment. You really are. There's no looking back and uh, there's no worrying about the future. You are absolutely in the present moment. And And you've gone from like, to me anyway, like from one spectrum, you know, being this sort of biker chick to, you know, <laughs> herring around country lanes, you know, to, to somebody that that's, you know, totally spiritual and living in the now. And, you know, that's that's quite amazing, really, isn't it? It's like, you know, total opposites. Oh, believe me, the bike is still there. I do. I, I do still have a collection. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I still have a love of it. It's the it's. It's what went with it back then. Mm. And it's not the same now. It, you know, there, it, it, I say it's not the same now. It can be. If you, if you want it, you could find it. But, you know, for me, if I was to get on a bike now on my trike, it would be to just go out there and be in the environment, in mm. the present moment and loving it and not, yeah. you know, nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, well play your next track you've chosen obvious child by paul simon so just tell us a little bit why why that one the the drumming on this um is played by a band called uh Ola doom now i've been involved with samba for many many years drumming and and i've actually led this piece of music um so the the main lead drum that would be me and great great yeah well, I'm accustomed to a smooth ride Oh, maybe I'm a dog who's lost his pride I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more I don't expect to sleep through the night So people say lies, lies, lies But I say why? Why deny the obvious child? Why deny the obvious child? And in remembering a road sign Said these songs are true, these days are ours, these tears are free. The cross is in the ballpark, and the cross is in the ballpark. 
Listening to Recovery Now Radio, uh, we're talking to Bex today. So I can't believe it, Bex. We're, we're sort of at, almost at your last piece of music. I've still got a couple of questions to ask you, so um, <laughs> I don't quite know how I managed to do that, but there we are. It's a shame um, nobody could see that last bit because I was drumming with pens. Oh, you were piece. you were well into that, and, and seeing <laughs> Greg trying to cue the the mic in was quite funny as well. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so you're you're well on your way now, um, mm. recovery. Um, enjoying your days, I think. I feel, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Oh lots, yeah. Lots of hobbies. You you. Oh, loads. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, my pottery, my yeah. photography, um, art in general, being mm. out in nature, walking. Big involvement now with Eight Shields and Nature Culture Network, and with another recovery charity, which is very very much nature based, called Right to Freedom. So, yeah, yeah, busy, busy and looking for work at the same time. What lessons do you think you've learned from recovery, Bex? I think because my recovery was 
the white knuckle variety and not the standard route. I don't know if there is a standard route in all honesty, but because my recovery was slightly different, I think one thing I've learned is to have staying power and not to give up, never give up, never give in. Mm. And that it is worth it. It really, really is worth any and all the hard work that can be put into recovery because life is for living at the end of the day. I nearly didn't see my 21st birthday and I'm years Mm. old now. If I hadn't survived, I wouldn't have experienced all the wonderful, all the hard things that I've experienced since then. And life is for living no matter what it throws at you. It's there to be enjoyed and you don't need necessarily an addictive habit in order to enjoy life because there's so much else out there that is free that is easily accessible that lifts your spirits in such a such a good way that you don't need the buzz from any of those addictive habits at all drumming for me is you know that's one of my biggest things I'm never happier than when I'm drumming music nature I'm never happier than when I'm out there and I'm fully connected with nature and my environment and it can be chucking it down the rain howling a gale so what skin's waterproof I was out uh, in a Canadian canoe just over a week ago in North Wales with my son and his girlfriend and their new pup and we were quite we were paddling on the Menai Strait in a snowstorm doesn't get better than that (laughs) wow you are totally and utterly in the moment yeah yeah and enjoying yeah. every single second, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So what? I've got long-term disabilities. So what of all of that? You know, I'm here, I'm alive, mm. I recovered. Mm. That's brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I would say to anybody, just keep going. Keep pushing through. Keep going. Seek the help if you need it, if you want it. But never give up. Mm. Mm. And you, you, you are talking as somebody with experience now. And, and oh, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd just like to know, looking back, what, what would the experienced Beck now, who's experienced so many things in her life, what, what would she say to, to the little Becks? What would she say? I've, actually, interestingly, I've done a lot of work around this recently, the wounded child, the wounded soldier. And I would, I would hug myself and say, mm. you don't have to be a sheep. You don't have to follow and do what everybody else is doing. You can be you. You can be you. And it's okay to be you. And you are loved and you are worthwhile. You are a valid human being. Absolutely. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank thank you so much, Bex. You've You've been a really good guest. You know, you've come back from, you know, a terrible place after a terrible accident and, uh, it's really been good to listen to your story and see you today. Thank you. Um, thank yeah, you. Yeah. So thank you also to all the listeners. We're still doing lots of interviews. Um, we're looking for people to interview as well. So please get in contact if you can. Thank you so much to Adveriad and the Living Rooms for allowing us to put this show together. You've been listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. I'm Julie. I presented the show. Greg, thank you so much for for. We've had a few technical hitches this 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 show, haven't we? But we've uh, we've soldiered on. <laughs> so, but thank you all very much for listening. Please please keep supporting us. There's lots of work goes in 
to all this and uh, we really need you listeners there to make it all worthwhile and you know the the hope is we're reaching out there and and touching people that really do want to find recovery so please please tune in all right thanks very much um so finally your last piece of music bex you've chosen you're not the only one by third world thank you (laughs) (laughs) so why have you chosen this piece uh well because this is again this has got a very poignant message if you are out there you are not the only one there are people out there to support there are people out there to help um don't be alone reach out and connect perfect way to end the show thanks very much Bex. take care thank you take care bye Some we say them are your friend, but are you alone a spend? Yes, still every man a shop. And one of the newest things for cop. Man a go on all a rems, cause you done know the shreps. Things sticky like so a sap. And one shepherd to a flock. See them hustle on the corner while they try to be a man, but it gets lonely on the block. And it's rough in the trap. And everybody need a hand to lift them up when them a drop. If you're out there, somewhere
You're not the only one. You're not the only one.